As you can see, our text this morning comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 4. Exodus 4, verses 10 through 20. Exodus 4, beginning in verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute, or deaf, or seen, or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O my Lord, please send someone else. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And I take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. Let us pray. Our Lord, as we hear now from your word, we pray that it will be your spirit who shall speak to us that we might hear who you are and what it is you would have us to go and do for your glory and for our good. Amen. I want to Before we talk about Exodus chapter 4, I want to turn your attention back to Ephesians 4, to what we heard earlier, where uh, I picked this text from Ephesians 4, not at random, uh, but kind of could be, uh, because it is a New Testament text that talks about the kind of life that you as a Christian are supposed to lead a life of holiness, loving others, a life of putting off sin, putting off the old self, no longer corrupt, uh, being in, living in true righteousness and holiness, which is kind of a demanding ask. And if you take it seriously, it uh, may seem a little intimidating, and if you don't find it intimidating, I'd rather doubt you're taking it seriously. Who can actually fulfill the apostolic command? And of course, that apostolic command comes from God. It's not something that Paul made up, as much as people like to throw Paul under the metaphorical bus. Uh, It's really, he's speaking God's word. So that's God's demand on you, is ultimately uh, to be like Jesus, which is 
quite literally impossible. And so that's what God demands of you. And the response, no doubt, is to begin wondering at some point, well, really? I mean, that, cannot, that can't be serious. That is a bit, that's more than a bit much to ask and to demand. It is burdensome and it is heavy, and frankly, it's not something I am able to do. But of course, when you start thinking that way, when you start responding that way, it's because you've forgotten some essential truths of the Christian life, perhaps, and perhaps one of the most important and central truths is that when God puts these demands on you, you are not alone, which of course is also what Moses learns in our text this morning as we see how it is that the Lord strengthens his servant's weakness. Now, it's important to give some background here. This is not just another conversation between God and Moses, which sounds kind of uh, cavalier to say, oh, you know, Moses and God talking uh, as though that's a totally normal thing. Uh, But it was kind of a totally normal thing. If you've read the first five books of Moses, God would speak to Moses. But this is God's first encounter with Moses, Moses' first encounter with God there at the bush, at the, the famous burning bush, which you have probably heard of. Uh, and this is, this is the end. This is a tail end of Moses' call to his ministry, his formal call to become the leader of the Israelites and to lead them from out of Egypt and into the promised land where the Lord said earlier in this encounter in Je- I'm sorry, Exodus 3.10, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the, is- the children of Israel, out of Egypt. That, in a nutshell, is Moses' call, Moses' mission. And as the Lord is giving Moses this calling through the burning bush, he has given him signs, and he has given him, uh, he's given him other things to uh, signs and assurances, the tools that he needs, and the assurances that he needs for this mission that he is being called upon by the Lord to carry out. But, but, as we begin our text this morning, Moses is afraid. He's afraid he is not up to the job, and so he objects. Uh, I am. Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. In other words, I'm not, I'm not good with the talking, and it hasn't changed in the approximately 10 to 20 minutes since you know, we've been talking. We've been chatting here, you and the bush that is not consumed by flame, and, and me here sort of responding. Like, I don't think you've, I don't, I don't feel that you pulled off any miracles you know, besides that one, and then the sign with the stat, that other stuff, but not, not a pertinent miracle. You've not pulled that off. You've not made me good with the talking thing. And so I can't, I can't do this job. Can't do the thing that you've called me to do because I'm not really equipped for it, which seems like a reasonable objection. You've been called to a career in public speaking to which you might object, well, I am not good at the public speaking. That's Moses' objection. To which God says, 
and, and see, this is, this is the difference between me and God, because at this point, I would just give a dirty look. Um, and God doesn't give the dirty look, but he does say the incredibly obvious thing, which is, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Yeah, he's the Lord. He is the creator of all things, the maker of the heavens, the earth, the seas, and all that in them is. He has made the mouth. He has made, in particular, Moses' mouth and all the equipment that goes with it, the larynx, the voice box, the diaphragm, and all that junk he has made, and he is able to make Moses good at the talking thing. Now, therefore, go. Now, therefore, go. Or as you or I might put it, now, therefore, cut it out. Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. That should be enough, but, but Moses again, right? What, what does he say? He says, send Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Anybody but me. And, and as I reflect on this text, there, there's the, 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 the talking thing, but maybe there's other things that are going on, and, and I think that might come out later on in the text as well. There are, Moses has stated reasons, and he certainly has you or anybody else might have unstated reasons as to why he cannot do this, why he believes he cannot do this. And so even though, even though the Lord himself is there before him, even though the Lord himself has appeared in what we in the theology biz call a theophany, like it's, you need a complicated word that you don't use in regular life in order to explain what's going on, right? Like that's, that's a big deal. Whenever you use words that we don't understand, then you know something important is happening. Probably, unless you're talking to an economist. But, it's, but no, it's, it's theophany, big thing. This is it. This is the real deal. And instead, Moses says, yeah, you got the wrong guy. Not me. Moses is afraid. Text doesn't say that, but that, that's, that's the obvious inference. That's the obvious conclusion that we have to draw from what we have here. Moses is afraid. And even though the Lord has appeared to him, even though the Lord has preserved him, and going back, Moses knows his own life story. He knows how he was born. He knows how he was preserved from death during the time of Pharaoh's genocidal murder of all the Hebrew baby boys. He knows all of this. He knows how he was preserved from persecution and prosecution, rather, for murder against an Egyptian. He knows the Lord is given to Haven. He knows all of these things. He knows there's a Lord himself there. And yet trust is too much for him. And surely you can relate. No matter what the Lord has done for you, no matter what the interventions and providences and blessings you have experienced in your life, the trust, the faith that God is going to make you able to do 
that which he has called you to do. Fear is greater than that trust. And Moses' fear, whatever is feeding it, the things that are clear and the things that are unclear to us, what's on the outside and what's on the inside, all of those things, even as with you, Moses' fear is greater than his trust. But the Lord, the Lord is merciful. Even though his anger burns, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. God's mad. It burns. It kindles fire. And the Lord is just and righteous. Right? So you, when you're dealing with one of your children and they come up with all the excuses and your wrath burns, your, your, your anger, I'm sorry, your, 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 your anger is kindled uh, against your child, to use the Bible words properly. Uh, there's, that, there's that little voice that says, like, well, maybe I'm, maybe I'm overreacting. But the Lord is perfect and sinless. The Lord does not overreact, right? Like, like you, we can properly say the Lord reacts without needing to use any adverbs uh, on react. Like he's, he's, he's righteous and good. So, so he is right to be angry with Moses because Moses is stalling. Moses is making up excuses. Moses... Moses is guiltier than your child who has a reason for why he and or she has not done the dishes, right? This is, this is the real deal. And so Moses, if, and if God is mad at you and God is righteous, which he is, then therefore we ought to conclude that, well, you deserve punishment. One deserves punishment. So what what does Moses deserve for kindling the wrath of the Lord, the anger of the Lord? He deserves punishment. He deserves deserves to have God's wrath visited upon him, plagues and death and destruction and, and all, all the wrath of God. He deserves it. It's not for nothing it's not for nothing that, that verse 14 says, then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. It's not for nothing that our text says that because then we understand that the Lord is merciful to Moses. The Lord is merciful to Moses when he says, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? The Lord deals with Moses in mercy. Rather than visit his wrath upon Moses, he gives him what he needs. He needs help. Moses needs help. And so Moses feels the need. The Lord, it's interesting, the Lord's not buying the story. Pretty clearly the Lord is not buying the story. And yet he says, fine, psychologically you're all hung up. You can't get on board with a burning bush. Uh, there, and so your brother, Aaron, you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. The Lord hasn't changed. I'll be with your mouth just as he said before, but I'll also be with his mouth. He will speak for you to the people. You speak to him. You, will be, you shall be as God to him. That's how we need to work here. This is how we're going to work it. This is what we're going to do. This is the Lord's mercy. 
But the charge, the calling has not changed. Take in your hand the staff with which you shall do the signs. You are called to do it. I will give you what you need, or at least what you perceive that you need. You can have Aaron. You can have all that you need. And, but you are called. And you are going to do this thing that I have called you to do. But the Lord who calls is merciful. The Lord who calls His servant is merciful. Because the Lord then is, our Lord, is merciful to you. I, I, I don't know what your personal excuses are. What you say, what you think when you read Ephesians 4, when you hear the call of Scripture to a holy life, when you hear the call of Scripture, the demand of God's Word to live a life that glorifies Him, to grow in the likeness and the image of Jesus Christ our Savior, what your excuses are. I don't know those. I can Sometimes you let those be known on the outside. Sometimes they're there on the inside. But the Lord is merciful to you in all of your excuses. He did not, in His just and righteous anger, destroy you. Instead, in His mercy, He gave you life. Rather than being punished, rather than punishing you for your sin, for your contumacy, for your rebellion, the Lord Himself died in your place on the cross. So the punishment was not lifted. Rather, the punishment that you deserve was visited upon God Himself. The Son of God became man and suffered and died on the cross in your place. The Lord spared you from death in His mercy, and more, He gave you life. Not only did He not kill you, but He gave you life, new life in the resurrection of our Lord, who was raised on the third day as a testimony that indeed He did die for your sins, and in the assurance then that you too will be raised with Him into everlasting life on the last day. This is how the Lord has dealt with you in mercy, not visiting His wrath upon you, giving you life, and even more, giving you the help that you need. Because the response of unfaith, the response of fear, of faithlessness, of untrust, of not believing in the Lord to Ephesians 4 and the rest of the New Testament and the Old Testament beside, is to say, well, I cannot do those things. I can't do those things. But the Lord has not left you without a helper. The Lord has given you a helper, not Aaron, because you don't have to go talk to the Egyptians. Rather, you have to live a holy life becoming more like Christ. Instead, He's given you His Spirit. In John 15, 26, Jesus tells His disciples on the night in which He is to be betrayed, but when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about Me. 
the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells us that one of the names for the Holy Spirit is the Helper. You literally have a Helper, the third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit, who comes to you, who helps you, so that when you hear Ephesians 4, when He speaks Ephesians 4 to you, when the Spirit speaks the Word of God to you, He is also in you and with you to enable you to live it out. That you are not alone, you are not without a help, you are not without, you are not without what you need. You are, but, but, but just, but interestingly, just like Moses, just like Moses, when you confess your inability, I can't do that. I can't be holy. You're right. It's, it's, not, it's, not that, it's not that God suddenly has fixed you and made you sinless. That's not it. Even as a redeemed and, and, and born-again, regenerate person, there is sin in you. There is sin in us as believers, and there will be until, uh, until death or the resurrection, whichever comes first. But now, now, even though you can't, you can honestly say, well, I can't do good things, you have the Holy Spirit who is in you, who enables you to do good things. Now, if we give a plug for the Westminster Confession of Faith, which as a Presbyterian I'm contractually obligated to do on every possible occasion, the, our, our chapter on good works talks about this exactly and says, yeah, you can't do anything good good because there's always sin in you, and yet, and yet because you have the Holy Spirit, because the Spirit dwells within you, because the Spirit is at work in you, the stuff that you do actually is good. The stuff that you do to glorify the Lord according to His Word actually is good because it is the Spirit of God working in you. And so you can lead the Christian life that the Lord has called you to do. Not on your own because you are not on your own ever in the Christian life. And I'm not ta- when I say you're not on your own ever, I'm not just talking about friends and family and Christians and other believers in the church, that's all true, but that's not the relevant point here. The relevant point is you have God Himself. God the Holy Spirit dwells in you and mercifully equips you and mercifully gives you the strength that you need, who strengthens you, who enables you, who calls you, who works in you. The Lord does not leave you alone. And so the Lord is merciful to you. You know, I can make a, a really straightforward then word of application as well to this is something directly to parents is to think carefully about dealing with your own children in mercy. Uh, my own children will bear testimony as to how merciful I am upon every occasion. Uh, it's really, it's a beautiful thing. Okay, um, it, doesn't ma- it, doesn't ma- it doesn't matter if I'm perfect. On- it really doesn't matter if I'm not perfect on this point because the Word of God is true anyway. Um, which is, which is though, I mean, yeah. You know, I've met your kids. And just between you and me, they're sinners. Now, I think your kids are more delightful than my children, uh, but that's because I don't have to live with them. So, I don't know. 
you know. Um, but, no, mine are wonderful. But you see, you think yours are more, mine are more delightful than yours, so it goes both ways. Um, and, and yeah, they're sinners, yes, and when they don't want to wash the dishes or they claim to have washed the dishes and like you draw the finger through, like that's, that's grease, right, on the clean, on the clean plate. Yeah. Nonetheless, nonetheless, there's, there's, there's a word there, there's a reminder there that for all of us who are in authority, whether it's as parents or in other positions, is to deal in mercy and to hear where there is a lack of equipment or at least a perceived inability, an inability to do something and to come alongside and to give the help that is needed. And this is part of then, I think, that for many of us in our lives, where the, Lord gives, uh, where the Lord gives you a position of authority or responsibility is also remember mercy and the, and, and the importance of mercy. And even where you don't feel that that mercy is necessary is still nonetheless to act in mercy. That if the Lord, who is just, puts aside his anger to show mercy to Moses, so too ought we whose anger may be just, but is always mixed with injustice. With, uh, there's always, even no matter how righteous one's wrath is, there is always unrighteousness in it. Then, then we too should be quick to set aside that wrath, to set aside that wrath, to deal in mercy and to give what is needed. And I should probably say then, before I move on, that of course my children are more delightful than yours, but at least they used to be when they were little and cuter. Um, having said that, having said that, the point is this, is that, again, to, to, to return to what our Savior calls the Spirit, He is the Helper he is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He also calls him in the same passage, he calls him our comforter. He is the spirit, he is the comforter, and he is the one who is with us. As Jesus has ascended, so the spirit has come down to be with us. And that's the point, is that he is the one who is with you. And so even when you disobey him, even when you have a clear calling from the Lord, even when you refuse to do that which the Spirit has equipped you to do, it's important to remember that the Lord is your comforter at all times. He is your strength at all times. The Lord does not leave you on your own. The Lord does not leave you on your own. And on the basis of that comfort, beloved, you should know that the Lord will strengthen you to do all that He requires of you. The Lord strengthens his servant's weakness, and so strengthened and comforted, the Lord's servant obeys. Strengthened and comforted, Moses will go. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. He's not afraid. The Lord has said, take in your hand the staff with which you shall do the signs. And that's it. That's the last thing that we hear. We don't hear about Moses leaving. We just know that Moses now goes. Moses has gone. He talks to Jethro, who, as we're told in Exodus 2.16, is a priest of the Lord, 
what exactly that means as a priest of the Lord, we don't quite understand, but he is a priest, he's a servant of the Lord, and he is, and so he's a wise man. He recognizes the calling that Moses has, and he sends him out. Go in peace. Go to do this thing the Lord has called you to do. And then the Lord adds comfort to him. The Lord gives him more. He says, uh, and, and this is why I think there's probably, even when we think of Moses giving his objections, there may be more going on. The Lord says to him, go back to Egypt for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. Moses ended up in Midian because he was fleeing from the Egyptian authorities because he had killed a, an, an Egyptian who was severely beating uh, an, an Israelite. And so to protect the Israelite, he had killed the Egyptian, but, now, but, he, but then uh, he was in deep trouble, and so he had to flee Egypt 40 years previous. Now all those people are dead. Now he is safe. There is not a warrant on him, if you will. And so he can go back, and he can go back secure. And so Moses can go because the Lord goes with him. And also want to underscore the fact that as he is strengthened, as he is given these assurances and these comforts, is that Moses goes with the staff of God. It says, so Moses took his wife and sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. This is the staff uh, which was back up in verse 17, take in your hand the staff with which you shall do the signs. This is the staff that earlier in chapter 4, Moses threw down on the ground and turned into a serpent and it turned back into a staff again, into a staff, a big stick. Uh, and it's the staff that he was carrying as a shepherd. It's interesting. It's not Moses' staff anymore. This staff has changed, changed from a serpent into a, changed from a staff into a serpent back to a staff again, but that's not what we mean. What we mean is that it is a sign now from God, of God's presence with him, that God is with him, that God is encouraging him. It is a sign. It's a sign that he carries with him at all times. It is he goes to fulfill his commission, the charge that he's been given from God. He has this staff which, by which he will do signs, and therefore which by itself is a sign to Moses. God tells Moses, now therefore go, and Moses goes. In like manner, then, the Lord has told you to go. You also have a commission, a calling from God. Now, I'm tempted to say that the commission, which we all have this morning, is after the service to pack everything up and to load up vehicles and to carry them across the Miami River, which um, deacons will raise up their arms and will be piled up, and yea, verily, we shall cross dryshod. Uh, unto the new building which has been promised unto us. But that's not actually what's going to happen, nor, nor the point in the sermon, but it just seemed like a cheap laugh that I couldn't let go. Um, instead, instead, the commission that you have is what we heard earlier from Ephesians chapter 4. 
something really, I think, as it's, as it's in Ephesians and as elsewhere in, in, in Colossians as well, but Ephesians 4 uh, made explicit and, and in some sense is the sum of the Christian life, the sum of sanctification. And this is where a shorter catechism goes when it wants to explain what it means to be a Christian. It says we are called to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. That's the commission that you have as a Christian is to become like God, to become the true image of God, to become the true likeness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in righteousness and holiness, to be a renewed person, a renewed human after the renewed humanity which we have in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what he has called you to do. That is the commission that every believer has. And like Moses, he has also given you signs. Not the staff, not a staff, but instead the ordinary means of grace. Because while the Spirit is with you, the Spirit is with you, the Spirit is invisible, we don't see the Spirit, we can't touch the Spirit, so we know he is with us, and yet uh, we know that he works in us through what we in the Presbyterian tradition call the ordinary means of grace, word, sacraments, and prayer. Those are the primary means of grace which we have identified in our, in our confessions. In the Word, the Word, the Lord speaks to us through His Word. It is His Spirit who accompanies you, who speaks to you in His Word, particularly in preaching as we gather in worship, which is the center of the Christian life, this side of glory. As we prepare for the last day, the Lord speaks to you plainly in His Word through the preaching of the Word, but also then as you read the Word on all occasions. Whenever you hear the Word, it is the Spirit speaking the Word to you, using that Word to apply the truths of what Jesus said to your heart enable you to live those out. You have the Word, and then we have the sacraments, which can be neglected as the signs that they are. That on the one hand, we want to be careful to affirm that no, that baptism as a sign of washing with water by itself does not save, but, let us, but it is a sign which has been applied to you as a believer. And if you have not been baptized, then by all means, repent and believe so that we can baptize you. Uh, that's really important because, because it is a sign that we ought to cling to as believers. You ought to say, I've been baptized. And when you are tempted by the evil one, when the evil one accuses you, and when your sin seems so great, your defense is that you belong to the Lord. And if nothing else, cling to the fact that you've been baptized. I belong to God. I was baptized. I was set apart. I do not belong to the devil. And you just better back off. It's a real thing that the Lord has done for you, something to cling to. And though we are baptized, but, and because we are baptized but once, because you are baptized but once, then we have the ongoing sign, the ongoing sacrament of the Lord's Supper, which is, of course, the continual presence of the repeated and continuing, rather, uh, 
testimony to you by the Spirit that He gives you what you need, that He feeds you, that He strengthens you with Christ, that you commune with Christ, that you belong to Christ. It's a sign of our communion, which is our union, the fact that you are united to Jesus Christ. For as you are indwelt by the Spirit, as the Spirit lives in you, the Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. And as you belong to the Spirit then, Therefore, you belong to Christ because the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. We're all together in that. And so these means of grace, we call them means of grace because they are the means, the implements, the tools by which God displays and shows His grace to you, His mercy and His love to you. And of course, those all come together in Christian worship as we gather together each Lord's Day to live out, to practice living out that life which we will live out for all eternity in His presence. Because it is the lie of the evil one to say that because we live in the age of the Spirit where we cannot see, touch, taste, smell, uh, or feel the presence of God, then God is not present. And so, that is the, but that is a lie of the evil one. The fact that something is spiritual doesn't make, mean it's not real. It means it's spiritual. That's all. And so the spirit, in, 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 in Christian language, when we say spiritual, we really mean capital S spiritual. It is the Holy Spirit by whom all these things are true. It is the Holy Spirit by whom all these things are affected. It is the Holy Spirit who is with you. It is the Holy Spirit then, as we say, it is the Lord who is with you and who enables you to live for Him. You are not alone. You are not called to a task by yourself. You are not saved from your sins and then said, okay, now go do. No, 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 no. You are saved from your sins. You are given the assurance of everlasting life. You are given the Holy Spirit. You are indwelt by the Holy Spirit Himself. And in that way, not alone, but accompanied. Not by yourself, but bound up, indeed living in the bosom of the Lord Himself. The Lord says to you, now therefore go. Go, go, for as the Holy Spirit comforts and reassures you, our Lord Jesus Christ strengthens you to go wherever He has called you. Amen. Our Lord, we give you thanks then that you have not left us alone, but rather you by your Spirit are with us, you strengthen us, you comfort us, you reassure us, and in all things, you build us up into the likeness and knowledge and holiness and righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. We long for the last day when no longer will things be merely spiritual, but spiritual and physical, renewed in glory. But now we know that as we await that day, and as we fulfill our calling to be the renewed humanity in Jesus Christ our Lord, 
that by your Spirit these things are so, by your Spirit we can do all things in Jesus Christ. And so therefore we ask that by your Spirit and because of your promises that we might live to your glory and according to the calling which is ours in his name. Amen.